You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. With that said, open in your Bibles to the book of Judges with me this morning. That's such a horrible transition. Advent, Christmas, we love you. Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And the people of Israel, again, everybody say again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife I'm not even going to try, of that guy, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. Keep that in mind. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and troops, and I will give him into your hand. Next, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I feel like this is going to be a very familiar text to many of us. Now concerning... The times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. I just want to pause on that verse for a second. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need for anyone to write anything to you. For 2,000 years, people have been not obeying this verse by writing books, prophecies, blogs about the times and the seasons and when Jesus is going to come back. And Jesus said, don't do that because no one knows. And if they're telling you, look or look, it's not from the Spirit of Christ. And Paul is saying... You have no need for anyone to write to you about this. So there's something more important for the people of God than to sit around abdicating our responsibilities because we are predicting when Jesus is going to come back, who told us very clearly, don't predict when I am going to come back. It's tasty to read. It gets exciting and titillating, but it is not for us to know, Acts chapter 1, times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but it is our job to wait and receive power to be what? Witnesses to the goodness of Jesus. Can I climb off the soapbox real fast and finish reading the Bible now for a second? Thank you. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no one to understand you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like what? A well-predicted, easy-to-see event. No. Like a thief in the night. 
listen, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor, please remember this line too, destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. We're going to talk about some things today, okay? But you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be, everybody say it, God. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Maybe back then... Obviously, nobody was going on an all-inclusive back then or anything. (laughs) They start serving Crown Royale at 9 a.m. Not that I know. I'm assuming. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's like, can you just get through reading the texts, please? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on, let's, let's talk about what Christian sobriety looks like. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, you ready? So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And with that, I'm going to invite Matthew to come up and read a selection from, ironically, the book of Matthew. I'm just glad that I got this reading and not the one that you just did. (laughs) Um, This is a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it's 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave one to each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the, fir- uh, the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he, <clears throat> and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents, and here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, and good and faithful servant. You have done faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you were scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take that talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who is and will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, I think. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning through your holy word. And I pray that as we pass through the scriptures that we will be made alive by them, that we will be reminded of your love and goodness towards us by them, and that we will interact with you, Lord Jesus, in a way that brings healing to our lives. In your holy, precious name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. We're in the middle of a series, and this is the last day of a series called Revival, and we are making the point over the last three weeks that revival is not just for a personal increase of blessing, but revival means that your life is becoming more righteous and more holy, and therefore your neighbor, even your enemy neighbor, is being blessed because of what God is doing in your life. There is no revival if individuals are being blessed. There's only revival if the faithful community that we call Christianity is becoming more attuned to the suffering of the world, more attuned to its own suffering, more attuned to the voice and the cry of the prisoner and the thirsty and the needy and the hungry. And as we do that, the world around us is feeling and becoming more blessed, not more judged and cursed. Amen? So when we talk about revival, we don't want to talk about revival like David taking the census or Caesar Augustus taking the census. We don't want to talk about revival in ways that can be measured with metrics and attendance and salvation and baptism. We want to measure revival by the fruit of the Spirit that is being produced in each other's lives. What Jesus says it himself, you will know them by their, you will know them by their fruit. We want to hold up secular metrics all the time that are constantly passing away and burning people out to keep in our own life and in our churches and in our businesses. But in reality, what Jesus wants is an unseen, unmeasurable increase of the fruit of the Spirit coming off of our lives so that those who brush up against our life or are in our life are eating well of the virtue and the character coming off of Christians. What God wants is for your worst enemy to brush up against you and taste your goodness and not get what they deserve unless you believe Jesus that they deserve to be healed and then he wants them to get that. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. We've said it a million times here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my not to gloat over the enemies but to invite them to sit down to become friends. 
He's looking for revival to close the gap of destroyed human relationship with each other, with God, with creation. So we said in the first week that God's healing is greater than our producing. If you go back and listen to the sermon from a few weeks ago, we talked about how even when you're not bearing fruit, the Bible says that the, that the trees will bear fruit in their season, but it says in Revelation that even when they're not bearing fruit, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so we said a few weeks ago that part of revival is knowing that you will be in a season in your life where you're bearing fruit, but you will mostly be in a season where the leaves are there, but the fruit isn't. But just know that even when you're not being productive, your body, your life, who you are is still healing because it's not the fruit that heals, it's the leaves that heal. So there is a season for you to be on, to be productive, to produce, but there's a season where you're going to be lying dormant. You're going to go through a winter season. You're going to go through a fall. You're going to go through a spring. You will have a summer and a harvest, and it will recycle again. But in all of those seasons, your life, maybe if it's not productive, it is still healing for people. The second thing we said was reveal, God's revealing is greater than our limiting. We talked about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, how that was really uh, a, an innumerable amount of people. It was far, far, infinitely more than 144,000. And we talked about how we limit ourselves by these thought processes, but God's revelation bursts our limitations apart. So wherever you feel limited, you're just in an environment where God is waiting to give you a revelation about something so much bigger than what you're actually seeing in front of you. And so part of our job is to not walk with our faith rooted in our limitations, but walk with our faith rooted in the God who reveals infinite realities in our limitations. Amen? Last week we talked about how his harmonizing is greater than our contradicting. That there are realities in our lives that contradict. And we said last week that contradiction in our life that remains hidden becomes hypocrisy. But contradiction laid open before the Lord becomes harmony. And so one of the things that God loves to do, one of the things that the Holy Spirit loves to do is to harmonize the contradictions of our life. And so it starts with us admitting that they're there and then opening them before the Lord and watching him bring his harmonizing. He, he will play a wonderful melody out of the sour tunes and notes of our life. Today, in closing this series, I want to talk about how God's reminding, or sorry, Jacqueline, reminding. I know you hate it when we destroy the English language, but it's fun for preaching from time to time. How God's reminding is greater than our securing of ourselves. What God wants to remind you of is greater than any of the ways in which we can try to create our own security in our life. All of our attempts to try and stabilize and secure ourselves pale in comparison to a whisper of reminder that God has for you today and this week. He wants to tell you something about yourself that life has given us amnesia over and we have forgotten some of the truth of who we are. And as he reminds us of those things, it secures us in ways that all of our effort to secure ourselves could never accomplish. Just a simple reminder. And we're going to talk about that today. 
In Thessalonians, it talks about people who are asleep and people who are awake. And I want to quickly define that from the Greek translations of those words because they're pertinent for what we're going to talk about right now. To be asleep, when you take all of the different translations and kind of try to put them into one or two words, it essentially means foggy function. It has to do with people who are, that are doing things, but you're just in a fog. You're not connecting to what you're doing. You're accomplishing things. We always joke about this. You know, it's, it's that day that you drove to work, and when you got there, you forgot about driving there immediately. You're like, how did I get here just now? Like those moments where you're so caught up in something that you don't remember driving two seconds ago, like that kind of, like where you're, you're going through the motions, you're cleaning the house, you're going to work, you're paying the bills, you're doing what you have to do, and you just don't feel quite connected to it. You feel blank. You're doing it. You're kind of on autopilot. You're getting it done maybe even, but it just, there's no plug into it feeling missional or being filled with purpose. It's foggy functioning. And being awake means intentional interaction or felt interaction, meaning when you're awake, you're feeling the pain, the joy, the highs and the lows, which is what God wants us feeling. We spend so much of our time trying to not feel. We are drunk on so many things trying to not feel, trying to get through, quote, unquote, trying to take the edge off. And it's funny because if we take the edge off, iron might not be able to sharpen iron so well when everybody's walking around with the, quote, unquote, edge off. God wants us to feel the edge. He wants us to feel the stress of the moment. Man, I I listen to a lot of people talk. It's like, I'm never stressed. That's a lie or something is actually wrong mentally. It's kind of funny, but it's actually, sadly, an unfortunate state to be in when a Christian cannot admit that they're stressed. Because the world, I don't know if you know this, is very broken out there. It's broken out there. It's broken in my house. It's broken in my car when I'm in it by myself. I break it. (laughs) You break it. And brokenness is stressful. Jesus, in Gethsemane, pray with me. My soul is sorrowful. I want this cup to pass. Stress. Pressed. So we get into these modes where we're either trying our hardest to just let go of all responsibility and just bail, or we find ourselves in these overproductive realities where even when there is time to relax, we have to take that time to do 10 more things because we want to measure that we're being productive when in reality, you're ready, something that we all need to get done is doing nothing. Doing nothing is something that we have to accomplish, We're not talking about the Sabbath right now. I'm going to back off that for a second, but we're all about to read a book about it in January, so remember this. It's a prophecy for the future. Somewhere in my crystal ball, I bet that we're going to read a book about the Sabbath in January. Whether we're being blindly overworking, 
nonstop having to accomplish, having to do, having to see the results, or we're bailing, both of those are being asleep. Being awake is being in rhythm. Being awake is being able to leave things undone for tomorrow. How many days did God create the world in? Six. You can say seven. I'll accept it. He created the world. How many days could he have created it in? So Jesus left for tomorrow what he could have done today because even God doesn't overwork even when he can. Tell your friends about that. Tell your boss about that. Or don't tell your boss about that. Listen to what the prayer for the week is in the Book of Common Prayer. It says this. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. It says, listen, digest, mark. It says mark. Don't, it doesn't say highlight. So please nobody ever highlight in your Bible ever again. I pray that's a thing of the past. I want you to have Bibles again and not your phones because I don't think that we should be reading the Holy Scriptures on the same device we go Christmas shopping on. But that's, again, another... Another topic. But don't highlight in it. Underline. Anyway. I have OCD on that. If I sit behind you in church ever and I see hot pink highlighting next to orange highlighting, I'm going to take your Bible. I'm going to buy you a new one. All right. So... He romances us. Here's here's all we want to say today. He romances us into reminder of who we are. Let's look at Deborah from the book of Judges. Deborah is positioning herself in between two places. The one place is called the hill, and the other place is called the house of God. And she's in between the hill and the house of God. She's in between the trial, the issue, the failure, and the place where we're supposed to be. And she positions herself in between those places, and she offers wisdom and counsel to people. She is not in the issue, and she is not in the house of God. She's in between where everybody is and where everybody should be, What, like we said last week, with her wisdom, pulling together the two sides. So many of us spend the vast majority of our time not in the right place and not in the wrong place, but in all the places in between. But that's where Deborah is. And you know what her name means? Her name means B. Because sometimes wisdom will sting you as it's making honey for your life. Sometimes wisdom is dangerous and it will prick you while it's showing you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Deborah, like Jesus, is not a warrior. She's a wonderful counselor as the late Tim Keller said. 
she's of all the judges of Israel, the most like Jesus, because she's one of the only ones that doesn't shed any blood, just offers her wisdom, her counsel, and her might to the people. So what does she do? She calls Barak to her, and she says, you're forgetting what God said about you. I know we're being terrorized by this army that's in our lives. We're being occupied. We're in exile, which, by the way, means to uncover. Many of us, which is also where the word apocalypse comes from, we're in exile. We're being uncovered. We're being exposed. And I know, I know it's difficult while that is happening, but remember, Barak, what God told you. He told you to take 10,000 men and you will go defeat this king. So stop hiding. Wake up. Stop sleeping. Remember who you are. She calls him to remember. And here's the thing. He remembers who he is in such a way where he says, I won't go if you don't come with me. And I heard sermons that it is a weak man who says, I won't go unless she comes with me. Listen, I'm going to say nice things about the ladies because I'm not going to get jumped by all of you afterwards in the parking lot today. But there is no strength without strong women. I'm married to one of them. It's delightful and tough all at the same time. He said, I won't go if you don't come with me. And pastors preach sermons about how it's a weak man, how Barak was weak because he wanted Deborah to come. But when Moses said to God, we won't go unless you come with us, everybody praises Moses for saying God should come with them. But when Barak says, I want Deborah, the prophet of the Lord, to come with me, we criticize him because we are scared of power that's also vulnerable. Because we don't think there's power in vulnerability or neediness. But there is. It's why our Lord and Savior needed help carrying a cross. It's why our Lord and Savior asked somebody for a drink. It's why our Lord and Savior was looking for fruit on the fig tree. It's why our Lord and Savior needed to borrow a donkey, why he needed to borrow a tomb, why he didn't have his own house to have the Last Supper in, so he needed to borrow it from John Mark in his house. Neediness is right next to holiness. But we don't like that very much. So she reminds him of who he is, and she says to Barak, you will defeat this king, but you won't get the glory. Somebody else is going to do it. Another woman. And he goes anyway. Who is somebody in the Bible who goes to accomplish all that the Father has, knowing and only wanting the glory to be to the Father, if not the person of Jesus Christ, who came to do everything he wanted to do, not because it was his idea, but because he saw his Father in heaven doing it, because I came to do nothing but what I see the Father doing, and all he wanted was for the glory to go north. So look what happens when somebody positions themselves in between where you're supposed to be and where you are, and they offer you wisdom. You receive that wisdom. It reminds you of who you are, and it reminds you that you can be yourself and still need help at the same time. And everybody said, amen, because our autonomy is driving us into fatigue. We're doing everything by ourselves, And I want to point this out. Somebody said, ah, Deborah, I'm going to get on another soapbox again, so just pretend. Whatever, I don't even know what a soapbox is. I hope they can hold my weight, but I'll get on one. 
Somebody said, and this, this actually is important for the task at hand, that said, ah, oh, women lead when men fail. And for the record, and on the internet, I did not say that. I'm merely conveying information. When men fail, then women lead. Well, here's a funny thing. In Genesis chapter 3, God starts doling out consequences to three different people for the sin of the world. He, con- he gives Satan consequences, Adam consequences, Eve consequences. You ready for this, Sam? You want to go on a crazy journey with me for about 45 seconds? Watch this. He says to Satan, on your belly you will crawl for the rest of your life. You're going to eat dust, and the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. And he already prophesies Jesus. That's a consequence. Do we agree? Satan, your, your head's going to get crushed. It's not a blessing. It's a... Thank you. Then he says to Adam, hey, hi, because you did this, from now on, the ground, you've lost your authority over it. It's only going to produce thorns and thistles. And the work that you were doing before that came so naturally, now it's going to come at the sweat of your face. And by the way, you came from dust and you're going to return to dust. That's a consequence. Do we agree? So far, everything we're saying is consequences for sin. He says to Eve... Childbearing is going to be painful, and all the ladies said. (laughs) Take your time. Have your moment. Like, I don't even know. (laughs) I will not interrupt you. And then he said, your husband will rule over you. So hold on. I'm going to bail everybody out of this, okay? I'm also going to make everybody mad, so this will just be one of my lonely Sundays. (laughs) Getting your head crushed, ground-producing thorns, sweat of your face, pain and childbearing, these are all consequences, including your husband will rule over you. But for some reason, the church has cherry-picked your husband will rule over you as if it was a blessing to put into a household when it was meant to be a consequence all along. So watch. Watch this. In Judges, when the men sinned, the women led. In Genesis, when the woman sinned, the man led. When you put that together, all it's saying, and I think we can all, and yes, you can applaud this, that the way that we should be living together is in a mutuality of serving and leading. So when somebody's going through it, somebody else please lead. And then when that person starts going through it, can somebody else please lead? So that in our homes, in our churches, in our jobs, we can both be ready to lead and to follow however it's necessary together. Together. It's not either or. It's both. There are times, believe it or not, where I am not equipped to make decisions in my home. I know when you look at me, you see somebody who's always put together all of the time. But there are times when I'm not, and it's like, Jacqueline, please, God, make all the decisions today. And then there are times where Jacqueline needs me to. Those are very dark times for the family. And then there are times where both of us are on and we are just making decisions together and killing it. Anybody have those seasons? That's okay. And then there are times where we're both down and out. And we need the people that God has put into our life to help us navigate our decisions. 
we're always ready to lead. And so what does Deborah do in her leadership? Watch this. She reminds Barak of who he is. And watch this. What does Adam do in his leadership over Eve? When it's all done, he says to her, your name is now Eve. You're the mother of all living. Look what Adam just did. Deborah reminds Barak of who he is. And Adam says to Eve, no one ever talks about this. Adam says to Eve, I know it looks like you've destroyed living. But you are going to be the mother of all living. You didn't break it. God is going to use you to restore it. See what he does? That's leadership. Leadership is not who makes the final decision. That's not leadership. That's ruling. Leadership is reminding each other of who we really are in the Lord. Who's a safe person to have over your life? Somebody who reminds you of who you are and makes you feel confident to be the self that God created you to be. That's somebody who's safe to be under. We need to both be that person and be under that person and be ready to be both in and out of life. Amen? So he is reminding you today. You might be thinking, I broke it. And he's saying, you're going to be the origin of it getting fixed. You might be thinking, man, it's been so long. That prophecy is in a lot of journals a long time ago. And the Holy Spirit saying, go dust that journal off. Because I haven't forgotten about the things that I've prophesied over your life. You can go down into the valley and be successful. That's one of the ways he brings revival to our life. Another one, Paul. Thessalonians. I'm going to hit some, just, just some, some quick buttons in Thessalonians here. Let's just start with, let's just go right to the crescendo. And sudden destruction will come upon these people who are asleep. And there's a list of what that could possibly mean. But people who are asleep, people who are not paying attention to their spiritual life, it means both Christians and unbelievers simultaneously. And he says, sudden destruction will come upon them like what? Does anybody remember? Like labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman. So just, just for fun, look at what Paul is reminding the church about. He's saying, if you're getting it wrong, Destruction is going to happen to you, but it's going to happen to you like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. What is the Holy Spirit telling us there? Saying even in your worst, most dark, most messed up, most lazy, most indolent, most sinful moments, you are still pregnant with something. Do you see that? He could have said sudden destruction will come upon them like a tower falling to the ground. He could have said sudden destruction like a storm that wipes out a nation. But he said sudden destruction, and this is the kind of destruction God gives. So if anybody, if you're praying destruction over your enemies, here's the kind of destruction that God does. He destroys like a woman who's giving birth. In other words, his destruction is also a birthing of something new. He's going to destroy the world. Yes, he is. And that's why it says in Revelation 22.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth being born from the old one. Because his destruction doesn't end things. His destruction brings new things out of falling apart things. 
but he's reminding you that you're still pregnant even if you're asleep. That vision he gave you, that mission he gave you, that gift he gave you, that promise he gave you, it is still yours, and it's still kicking inside of you. Whether you feel it or not, it is there because he's the one holding it together. That's a good reminder. And he's coming like a thief in the night. But it says, the question that you have to ask yourself, and maybe it's me with the ADHD when I'm reading the Bible, it's fine. But I say, you're coming like a thief in the night. What are you going to steal? Like, first of all, come to my house. What are you going to take? My Vizio? What are you going to take? My Roku TV? What are you going to take? I'll invite a robber into my house. Like, whatever. Just... We've been trying to get it out anyway, just whatever. You want help? Let me get the legs off for you so it fits through the door. (laughs) Lord have mercy. You know what he's coming? He's the thief in the night, but you know what he's coming to steal? The night. (laughs) He's coming to steal the night. Read. Revelation carefully. He, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will not need a moon and we will not need a sun because there's only day, but it's an uncreated day. It's not the kind of day that starts and ends. It's the kind of day that is an uncreated day with an uncreated light called Jesus Christ himself. So the thief in the night is really the thief of the night and he's coming to take the night out of you. So will he cast you into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Yes, he will. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But he's sending you there to take the night out of you. So when you study, and I suggest you do, these popular verses that everybody is making literal livings on misinterpreting, the day of the Lord, as it's been interpreted throughout church history, could mean the day Jesus comes back but also Jesus coming back is weird when he's omnipresent, right? Like, how do you come back when you're already here? Anyway, it could mean the day you die. But you know what everybody agrees on that it means? It means the moment that Jesus shows up in your life next. Somebody said he's coming back any minute. And I said, yes, he's also coming back every minute. So he's going to show up today. He might be showing up right now during the sermon. He might have shown up when Stephanie started prophesying through pain, started speaking true words over the church. He might be showing up a thousand other times today. Some of them we'll be ready for. Some of them we won't be. But what he's coming to steal is he's coming to steal the false self, the shadow self, the you that you're propping up, thinking that you want to be that isn't you, that's actually tiring you out, and he's showing you your true self. That's why it ends with, and by the way, whether you're asleep or you're awake, he's coming to bring all of them to be with the Lord. So encourage one another with these things. He said, Deborah is not just encouraging Barak, but he's saying, you can go out and be victorious for Israel. Paul is not just encouraging the Thessalonians. He's saying, you could also take this message, receive it, let it melt you, let it move you, but also go out with it. So God doesn't want to just heal you. He doesn't want you to just get through the day. He wants your life to be a Red Sea that's parting for somebody else's life to pass through also. And that brings us to the parable of the talents. 
For starters, I sat with this one. There's so much. I sat with this for a little bit. And for starters, I heard something, and I think it may be because I'm a dad now, but I heard something different in this text where God gets mad at the servant. And you know one of the reasons he gets mad at him? Because he sees more potential in this guy than this guy sees in himself. I gave you something because you have ability. And you didn't think you did. And that makes God mad. It's not the kind of anger that crushes our self-esteem. It's the kind of anger that reveals to us that he believed in us more than we believed in him or ourselves. This guy with the one talent had more to lose than anybody else. You could get five talents and show back up with two. You could be given two talents and come back with half a one. But if you lose one, you come back with nothing. And he buried it in the ground because he was asleep. He was drunk. What was he drunk on? I knew you to be a harsh man, and I was afraid to invest what is yours. And do you know, down through the canons of Christianity, from sermons like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where people are literally, pictures are, 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 have been painted of people melting off the side of the pews, like holding on to them as they bent under the weight of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I'm so glad that Brian Zahn showed up with a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Because when we think he's harsh, we won't do well with the gifts he's given us. Because we will be pass, fail, graduate or demote, live or die, or all the way back to Genesis, good or evil. But he's not that kind of God. You want to know how I know that? Because he teases you in this parable. Cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. But we all know, listen, let yourself go for a second. We all know that's not the character of Jesus. We know it's not. But it says it. Look, realize a master storyteller is saying these things. This isn't AI just bleeping stuff out there, putting it out there. This isn't an algorithm. No offense to that stuff. This isn't code. This is the best storyteller who's ever walked the face of the earth saying, cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. Take what he buried in the ground and give it to somebody else and throw him out. Hold on. Isn't this the same Jesus who said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure buried in a field and went and did what? Bought the field. Because even when I bury my talent in the ground, it's still valuable to him. Isn't this the same God who on the cross, the sun goes out over his life? At noon, it gets dark, and he's cast into outer darkness where there's nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why have you forsaken me? He will cast you many times in your life into outer darkness. You know why? Because he needs to meet with you out there. He's not casting you out there for you to forever be out there. He's casting you into outer darkness so that you can see the darkness and the impoverishment of your thinking and he can deliver you from it. 
you're more than you realize you are. He wouldn't have given you a talent if he didn't think so. You're pregnant with something even if you don't realize it. You have ability even if you don't realize it. There's a reminder and a prophecy over your life that Deborah is always giving us that's reminding us. It's Jesus saying to Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. Well, I denied you three times, yeah, but upon this rock I'm going to build my church. But I was racist against the uh, other Gentiles, but upon this rock I'm going to build my church. Jesus, stop! Just punish me upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. He's relentlessly for you. He's more for you than you are for you at your most arrogant and self-centered. So will he cast you into outer darkness? Yes. Will you weep and whatever gnashing your teeth is? Yes. But it is not done apart from the presence of God who is in outer darkness. Went there, went into the ground, found your treasure, brought it back up and said, let's do this again. And again. And again. Until we get it right. Before the thief on the cross ever asks... Will you remember me? Jesus asks us, Will you remember me? Do this in... Before we ever said, Jesus, remember me, when you enter your kingdom, Jesus said to us, Please remember me when I ascend into my kingdom. He's as vulnerable as you. He wants to be remembered by us as much as we want him to remember us. He cares about reminding you about him because when we see him, we see ourselves. We learn to love ourselves, and then we can love our neighbor. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that this, this word today would just find space in all of our lives. I pray that we would be reminded of who we really are, that we wouldn't get caught up in the weeds of the opinions and the times and the seasons and the world events around us, thinking this means, that means. I pray that we would simply be lit candles of prayer in the midst of a deeply suffering world. Pray that for those of us who are blessed, have abundance, have healthy retirements and money. I pray that those things wouldn't intoxicate us into missing your return today, tomorrow, or whenever. I pray for those of us who are struggling going through life events that have no answers. I pray that we would realize that when we get to that outer darkness, you are already there waiting for us. That when we were cast by life circumstances into anguish, frustration, injustice, that when we get to that place, you're sitting there with the Eucharist, feeding us, saying, I got here before you. I knew you would be here. I just pray that you would remind people today, this week, who they really are. That everyone in this room, everyone watching online is capable of not just love, 
is capable of being loved, is lovable, and is capable of loving in a way that can change somebody's life. We don't have to wait for our life to get better. We can love today in sorrow, in struggle, in storm. We can love in blessing, in abundance, on the mountaintop. We can love because whether we have abundance or whether we have nothing, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so I pray that the result of our hard work would be lovable lives that love lives. I pray that the result of our prayers and our Bible reading and our studying and our repenting and our getting back up again, I pray that it would all amount to loving you, loving ourselves, and loving our neighbor. You can bring the metrics in and out, but they're all passing away anyway. But our love won't. Our faith and our hope won't. And I pray that that would sustain us like this bread. Lord Jesus, it was on the night when you were betrayed that you knew who you were. The Bible says, Salem, the Bible says that knowing he was going back to the Father, he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. He knew where he was going and where he had come from, and that's how he was able to humble himself to washing his disciples' feet. If, he, if you don't know where you come from and you don't know who you are, you're going to have a hard time serving. Your ego won't let you. But when you know that you've come from God, Salem, and you know that when you die you're going back to God, Salem, that means that you're anchored on both ends of your life so you could get on your hands and knees and wash even Judas's feet this week. Nothing is beneath the actions of Jesus. So, Father God, I pray that you would remind us like you did for your son where we've come from and where we're going so that we can live this life with open hands and not closed fists. Letting go and offering, not burying and possessing. You're the one who said, you're welcome to this table. Eat this and re Remembrance of me. Remember us, Father God. Put us back together every week so that we could leave here and be Eucharist for the world around us. Be bread, the bread of life. Be wine of healing and joy, even in the midst of sorrow. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus the food and drink of new and unending life in him. I pray that you forgive us of our sins and anoint us of this task of the ministry this week to bring glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Salem, you're welcome to come on this side of the room. Elder George will be here. On this side of the room, I'll have Elder Bill will be here. You're welcome to come forward and receive of the Lord.
Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.